this week it has rained here. So our sunny weather that we've been really was overwhelming um, <laughs> for England. We, um, that has gone and now it's very sort of grey and kind of white clouds and very overcast. It's been a very exhausting week for me. And it feels like I've had to do a lot of fighting, a lot of explaining on social media mainly because there's a certain energy right now, an energy which feels that maybe people are willing to listen and it's sort of pushing in that energy. I wanted to start today by just playing the first recording. And the reason I haven't is because the audio is not the best quality, but just because there's some... Uh, static in the background, I'm not such an adept editor at being able to remove that, um, and it's just not the clearest of recordings, but if I was a kind of smarter person, I would say something about how messages are not always delivered in a way that makes you, where the delivery is so comfortable, let's say, or so clear and the message of this recording is really important and what love can mean in the communities of people of colour and of queer people and so I really want you to hear this message and pay attention to it even if it's not delivered in a way that makes it so easy to hear. So just turn up the volume on your phone, on your radio, on your laptop and, you know, pay attention and really listen. Um, that's what I would advise you to do. All right, let's get going. Wrong ones. I'm not saying that I'm 
busting atoms forge the heart of stars where water follows earth and they hear. They chop asked to carry the pain of an alcoholic father, a depressed mother, and a brother who just wishes to die, but you are stronger. And they will tell you this message over and over until it is made knots in your belly, liver too tight as not to breathe in, all the dust that will never settle, they will never settle. So you move on. Carrying their burdens on sleds hitched to your hips. There are no tracks in front of you, only your spaces for your feet to fall. For you are the strong one. You're the strong one on night buses, on your way home from class, on lonely hospital bedsides, on paychecks at home, on more playing Morse code with your parents' mistranslated love. But you are the strong one. And they will tell you this message over and over again until you believe it in your bones. You're the strong one. You're the strong one. You're the strong one. Until the night comes when it all becomes too much and the thoughts ask you to end yourself, will you be strong enough to do it? Will you be strong enough to live on? I am living. I am salted earth with tears. I am flesh and I am here. And I am strong, not for all that I've done for others, but for all the parts of me that have survived. I am strong when I'm fallen and I can't get out of bed. I am strong when I'm fallen and I can't leave the house. I am strong when I'm fallen, choked with tears. I am strong for all the mountains I've climbed and stumbled and fallen. I am strong when I pick myself back up and fallen. I am standing, I am flesh, I am here, battered and bruised, but alive and beautiful. So for the strong ones, fall. So not only our upbringing, but also the way the people who brought us up were raised, and the experience that they brought us. We are just a collection of those stories. So to find love and intimacy in a world that is built on oppression, particularly black. is a revolutionary effort. For my parents, love wasn't a choice. They had an arranged marriage. And in the West, when you have these shows like The Bachelor, where people or love is blind, um, it's interesting to sort of look at my parents' arranged marriage and see that all of these systematize oppression uh, and make them into spectacles. I don't see arranged marriage as an inherently bad thing, just as I don't see the bachelors as a good thing. They are all just functions of how 
people can find love in, I think, many different ways to have things that I think particularly for me as a brown, queer, migrant, autism, whose parents had arranged marriages, and their parents had arranged marriages, and their parents had arranged marriages, and their parents had arranged marriages. Finding particular form of romantic love as a choice is a remarkable there is no model for it, generationally. Uh, and I think it's interesting to interrogate that because it forces me to be really critical about what does love mean in the context of an oppressive society, in a context of society built around capitalism out to eliminate black and brown How do we create what love looks like for us that is not premised on replicating the systems of oppression that we have created? So, for me, I think it's about how do we reformulate love as a tool of liberation. Capitalism created the family superstition order to detach us from people, that if we had the nuclear family, the father, mother, child, dog, that these systems would provide for us in a context where consumption becomes the only resource somebody would rely on in order to survive. You can, you, you can purchase labor, you can get a nanny, you can buy a house and that gives you a sense of housing security, you can, you, uh, you can earn more money to send your kids to better schools to live in better communities, but your context for survival is all contingent on this one need, and you're supposed to rely on this unit for your financial needs, your physical needs, your emotional sexual needs, and it removes you from the context that there's an entire community around you that is viable, that can actually help you grow, but we deny that existence because ultimately we are not allowed to see each other as fully human, as people who can be fully loved the way you would love a romantic fully intimate in the way in which you would be with somebody who you consider your family. And in the times that we're living in now, I think we have to ask this idea of what is community care, that when we look at what COVID-19 did to particularly black, brown, queer communities of looking to each other in terms of community support because a lot of people were excluded from the financial systems, a lot of people were excluded from the medical systems, and how we develop systems of care around that, I think speaks to 
a larger premise is that within queer communities particularly, we've already had the infrastructure for receiving queer care. It was just never prioritized and looked at as something that is relevant to the larger society. But I think what we're showing is that the way we care for each other through generations has a remarkable tool for setting up revolutionary practices against the capitalist society and to fight things like like the rise of fascism and even global pandemics because we've created systems of care within a community. And what does that look like? You know, what does that mean beyond the academic talk? And I think it is that we are able to develop an intimacy and a connection with people who are not our blood family, but who are chosen family that we have around us who, because we are excluded from spaces and intimacy, that we have to develop that intimacy and connection amongst each other. And by doing so, we build these stronger bonds that can carry us and make us more resilient in moments of crisis. Because our entire lives are crisis. Our entire lives have always been under attack. So nothing about what is happening now changes anything. Rather, it's only just increased the fire of what we've always been experiencing. And so to love, to love in this context, means how we negotiate our understandings and relationships with ourselves to our communities. And I think that is like the the hardest battle that I personally will face is understanding who do I want to be in the community that I'm in. And I feel like what that means is understanding where I come from and what I've been through. The poem, The Strong One, speaks about a little bit about my childhood and life that I had that sort of formulated who I am and my, my good and bad patterns patterns that pushed me away and the patterns that sort of allowed me to thrive and overcome things around me. But at the same time, an interrogation of those patterns helps me understand what I need to work with to bring people closer to me. But also the boundaries that I have to set up when a society that is not taught that emotional language and an emotional connection is something that we need to prioritize because a capitalist society thrives on detachment from our emotions. So to be anti-capitalist means radical vulnerability, that we need to figure out how to be radically vulnerable, and that doesn't mean being emotionally emotional and vulnerable all the time. Radical vulnerability means developing strategies and tools about how we talk about our how we communicate our vulnerability to other people, to the right people, to the people who know how to care for us and how we care for each other. 
And in that, I think there's this terrifying idea that we are now in control of who we are. That we are now in control because we can't control the society around us, but we can control how we feel about ourselves. And when I say control, it's not about, you know, just telling yourself to feel differently. It's about getting in touch and having an intimate relationship with your emotions and how you connect with other people around you um, and how you develop that emotional language to connect with people around you. Uh, and ultimately, how you have people live and how you make space for other people to be loved. It's letting ourselves understand that ultimately, in order for us to fight an oppressive capitalist racist society, it means that we ourselves need to love. We need to feel how the society was designed to break us. And then ultimately, allow community to pick us up thank you Silesh for that beautiful piece you can go find them and their new project which is a poetry short film dig um you can find them at silesh underscore n on instagram yeah so i think (laughs) we're all of the understanding right now that this has been a very certain specific kind of week i the week before i was um I was talking to my therapist on the phone actually in Berlin and she said I needed to learn how to like deal with conflict better. I'm not good at dealing with conflict. I'm not good at confronting people. Um, And if you look at what might happen to black people when they do start conflict, you can maybe wonder what, like it's not much to wonder why we are so, or some of us are so conflict avoidant. I've been confronting people more and more now in well you know I do it in my own ways but I've just I felt like the kind of lack of seeing how the world is laid out for racialized people people of color and it was funny because I called out some stuff on my Instagram stories with a video because I felt like I was saying we are more, black people are more than just this black square and I need you also to share our work and to share our, you know, other things. But it took, like, a lot of me asking white people specifically to share, and me asking them personally to share my podcast of last week Thank you to everyone that said nice things about last week's podcast episode, and thanks to everyone that did share it. 
It's funny, uh, in last week's episode, I mentioned that <laughs> it was in a throwaway conversation um, that I regularly have suicidal thoughts, and no one seemed to pick up on that. And that's okay, it's not about me necessarily. Um, but I thought that was interesting that sort of no one picked up on that. Um, and I wanted to touch on it quickly here because, as someone who do, does regularly have quite a lot of suicidal thoughts, I always feel like you can't kill yourself in Berlin because if you try to like throw yourself in front of a U-Bahn or something and it didn't work, they'd probably like sue you and then you'd just be poor and miserable as well. Um, but the last time I felt very of that sort of state of mind was I felt that quite a lot in April, at the beginning of April, um, and then again at the end. And one of the things I keep repeating is I don't know why I have to keep explaining empathy uh, to white people, uh, specifically to white men. Because when I cry, I don't seem to elicit the same response I feel I would give to someone who was upset or crying. Um, so someone I dated recently, I cried and... They left me to go on a three-hour bike ride. So, <laughs> so that's why I'm kind of questioning, like, do, are people struggling to understand what empathy is? Um, I have very good methods, or I think they're good, methods in place for dealing with these thoughts. So, and my mother is quite good, so if I call her and I'm a bit in a panic attack or whatever... She always says, like, have you got a cup of tea? So the first thing is always to get a cup of tea. And the other thing I sometimes do is, uh, if you're near nature, is go and climb a tree. I often, like, leave the house, I'll go to a park or something, and I'll go climb up a tree, which is weird because I'm afraid of heights, and I don't know whether it's perhaps the adrenaline of suddenly being panicking about being above the ground that cancels out the other panic. Um... Another method I have is going to be with someone who I find safe. So I went the end of April when I was feeling again uh, in this kind of mindset, of a very panicky mindset. Um, the night after I'd like lost my phone, I went to go and hang out with a friend. And I just said, can I come around? Can I lie in your bed? Um, and just watch TV. Though I watched Tiger King, which was actually quite panic-inducing, so I'd recommend something that was like maybe a bit more calmer. Um, something like that. So those are my methods for dealing with... when I feel like I have a panic attack, or I'm feeling a bit like losing the very literal will to live. The flip side of being someone who experiences very deep, very heavy emotions is that when I am happy, I am incredibly happy. I'm very truly just enjoying life. And so, for instance, while Blackout Tuesday happened in my Instagram timeline filled with black squares, which I felt some ways about, I went off to the river um, and hung out with my friend and sat on the weir, which is the kind of river, a man-made river block. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. 
Um, and just, you know, put my hands in the kind of algae in the mud and then did cartwheels in the sun. And I just kept saying to my friend, Tim, I'm so happy. I'm just so happy right now. And he couldn't, he was like, what is, he was like, you're really having such a great day. I was like, I am. And we went to go and have some real ale pints and it made me just incredibly, like I can just take pleasure in some of these things that are just joy bringing. And I think that's really important because part of the flip side of being sometimes very angry and very on it is it's very draining and very exhausting fighting these kind of fights. And it does weird things with my body and it does weird things with my libido. So the second half of this episode is all dedicated to stuff about sex. I'm being inspired by our Lord and Saviour, Audrey Lord, and the uses of the erotic. <laughs> Go read it if you haven't. Um, and I'm dedicating all this next bit to stuff about sex and pleasure and going to find it and first up I have a small extract from an interview I did with Toby who ran a workshop on Afrosexuality in Berlin and this is from over a year ago and the whole interview I was going to release under a different podcast I was going to do that never happened um, but you can enjoy it now a little extract from it and yeah so stay safe out there and touch yourself. <laughs> Not at the protests. But when you get home. Hello, I'm Kate. Would you like to introduce yourself? I was already introducing you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I'm Toby. Um, I'm 25. Mm -hmm. uh, I live in Essex in the United Kingdom. <laughs> um, I have a five-year-old and a single parent. Um, I'm an artist, a singer, and I do a lot of community work. Mm -hmm. um, and within that is why we met like, the Afrosexuality Project, yeah. um, which is a project I started a few years ago, um, just kind of creating space for black people to own their desires yeah. in many like in many different ways mm. and um, focusing more on the intersections of like our blackness um, and our being of African descent mm. intersect with our everyday uh, especially in ways that we don't necessarily like always mm. have the space to do like talking about sexual health, mental yeah. health, kick, um, families, upbringing, it's yeah. different, just a, it's just a yeah, it's an intersection. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, an intersection of like rest and respite uh, to hold the desires of yeah. black people and people of African descent. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, I have so much I want to say already. <laughs> it's like, um, there's like a lot of, it, you're covering a lot mm -hmm. in this Afrosexuality yeah. Yeah. umbrella. I feel like, um, to do like on the, you're doing like on the one hand like the kind of the health mm -hmm. stuff around it yeah I can already like think of topics like to do with contraception mm -hmm. and being black mm -hmm. and then to also do like kink and then mm -hmm. that's like a whole other yeah 
game. Yeah. So I don't know, which one would you like to go <laughs> I don't know, which one first? You, it's really up to you what you want to talk about, because I guess the thing is with the spaces is it depends on what the participants want to bring into the space that yeah. then kind of informs where the conversation's going to go. Yeah. But it's all around the theme of Afrosexuality. Like, what's the first thing you think of when you hear the word Afrosexuality? Uh, to me, it's like I... Because I've been uh, sort of going along this idea that I think that for black women, especially, that mm-hmm. there is an ownership of their sexuality. Yeah. Uh, that sometimes white people can't understand. Yeah. Um, especially like given like how kind of conservative the structures of are around sex in mm-hmm. Europe and the West and so right. on. Um, that I I think of something very kind of. I struggle with this word as well, empowering. Right. Um, but uh, something, yeah, like very, yeah, it's it's uh, taking up space. It's, mm-hmm. it's there and it's present yeah. and it's, yeah, that's that's my first reaction to mm-hmm. it. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that sounds pretty concise. Like, mm-hmm. for me, I just, I wanted to foster these conversations because I didn't really, I still, I didn't have the space to kind of do that, um, to kind of just talk about just my reality Mm. in a very like unashamed way it's like Mm. a lot about like removing shame like there's a lot of again institutional shame like you were just saying but then there's also like familial shame and the shame that we just kind of inherit in like I don't know in different ways Mm. uh, just uh, just by existing as black people Mm. and existing as people of African descent and I keep making that distinction because um, I think there are a lot of people of African descent and there are a lot of people who kind of uh don't necessarily identify like under like what political black like political yeah. blackness means. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I wanted to kind of hold space for like what blackness is and also like being a person of African descent mm. can be just depending on like you know what the definition is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know what. Um, what part of this <laughs> this big massive uh, topic you wanna yeah, address? I think I think the thing is that I can really fall into um, not like a negativity, but like this a sadness basically, mm-hmm. um, and say because yes, black women are very objectified and they're objectified in very certain ways, mm-hmm. um, and for sure, black bodies just representation of them like that yeah. it's, it, there's no doubt in my mind that that's a thing mm-hmm. but I do believe that there's a, to me somehow like more control and when I th- or not more control but like ownership of yeah. the body mm-hmm. in the like for instance if I think of like the Nicki Minaj mm-hmm. the Anaconda video right and for a lot of feminists they get very upset mm-hmm. and specifically kind of mean white feminists white feminists <laughs> <laughs> which at this point if it's all white people it's not feminists yeah um mm, they get very like upset because it's this woman in a thong mm-hmm. and she's shaking her butt mm-hmm. and they're like this is not yeah. okay but to me she's like it's Nicki Minaj yeah. like she can well first of all she can do what she likes mm-hmm. but like anyone can do what they like but mm-hmm. to me didn't see it's not She's that's her sexuality. Mm-hmm. She's not being objectified mm-hmm. for a necessarily. I think a male gaze. Or she might be, but like, I mean, I think it's something know. that sh- there is, there is a fine line that no one really gets to kind of decide outside the community yeah. in, with, with regards to 
you know, this is something that she's doing because she knows yeah. exactly how to play the game and she's really fucking good at it? Yeah. Or is it also something that she enjoys? Or do those things all, like, exist kind of in cohesion with each yeah. other? Um, but, like, white feminists want to be like, actually, no, you don't get to be this. It's right. like, oh, excuse me, like, regardless of this person's, whatever, whatever your political mm. stances are, you don't really get to police the identity of another person right. in the name of feminism like mm. nobody's asking for that voice in this conversation especially yeah. not a white voice you know yeah and we spend a lot of time like fucking talking about like the ways in which like whiteness is so pervasive and yeah yeah it, it like entrenches itself in all of our organizing and like but yeah. there is also this parallel of actually no fuck you like we do shit like outside yeah of, like yeah fucking conversation if you don't understand it like don't worry about yeah. it yeah this is not for you don't worry Which, it's fine that yeah. really stresses um but yeah it was like that parallel of her video and then that not getting nominated for Mm -hmm. the music video Mm -hmm. award that taylor swift's bad blood did that was like women in fetish Mm -hmm. gear Mm -hmm. and it was like somehow like that's an acceptable face of feminist sexuality is like to be in bondage kind of gear and whatever but thongs are not and Mm. i was just like so very interesting i think for a lot of the time i like i really do stay outside of like what social media, especially like pop culture, yeah. um, kind of entails, because I don't really have the capacity in this lifetime yeah. to do that. And like, I really want to just like focus my time on like actually what other things within like my community mm. that I need to be like that I can tangibly be, yeah. like, you know, affecting some, yeah. some kind of change or support or like putting some love into. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's another reason why like yeah. sexuality is so important. Um, and what are the things that arise in the community that you feel? Um, at the moment, I think it's very interesting to see like the the recurring themes like wherever like I um, like have comments because the thing is I feel like that sexuality like goes goes on. It just it's a never ending project because yeah. I could be sitting with someone just asking them questions about what their desires are or whether yeah. they're monogamous or like what I don't know. <clears throat> what church they went to yeah. or if they went to church or what their spiritual practices are um, and it all falls under this umbrella Thank you, Toby, for that. And you can go follow them and hear their music at Wastewoman with an X on Instagram. And next up, I have Gary, who is going to speak a little about a certain conundrum they've experienced in their romantic life during lockdown. So... Hi everyone, my name is Gauri and I'm a stand-up comedian in Darmstadt and you cannot say this sentence without at least five Berliners feeling sorry for you. So I'm going to continue and finish the sentence by saying I'm planning to move to Berlin. There you go. Am I cool now? I hope so. So, um, what I want to talk to you guys about today is about love in times of corona. Hmm. 
uh, which is something that I've never spoken about. I've never spoken about my personal love life um, anywhere on my Instagram or on my YouTube. Nowhere. This is the first time I'm going to do it. And so um, to tell you a little bit about uh, me first, not to be a narcissist, but just so you don't feel uh, like I'm playing a character. This is my actual accent. I am from India and this is how I talk. It's not a character that I'm playing. Yeah. So when I was 21 years old, I was so lonely that I decided to move to Germany, the friendliest country in the world. And a year later, I started dating a German. Um, how depressed do you have to be to date a German for fun? Wow. Uh, but I did fall in love with him eventually. I We are together now for almost three years and it's been great. It's been so great. Uh, he even smiles now. And yeah, so um, the thing is that when coronavirus happened, he said to me, he said, when the isolation was just starting, he was like, Corey, I think we should, you should move in with me so we can isolate from all our friends together. And I was like, it is so weird when your partner suggests something that you always suggested and he never heard it and now he wants to do it because the government suggested it. So I was like, okay, so... Um, I have always been suggesting this and you never listened to me and now you want to do it because the government suggested it and he was so confused he was like but when did you suggest that we move in together and isolate from all our friends and I was like uh since the beginning of the second date I have been saying this and it's kind of too bad that you never listened so eventually we did. Um, I was I, I stayed with him for like a week or two, and after two week after two weeks, I had had enough because I saw his roommate's dick way too many times than I wanted to. It's hard to live with your boyfriend and his roommate at the same time, you know. And I just said, after some point, you just kind of need your own space. So now we have this agreement where during the days we are at our own apartments, but we spend literally every single evening together. Every single evening. I have, we have not spent even one evening apart. And it's been super cute and romantic because we've been spending all these evenings together, binging on Netflix and eating so much. Oh God, we've eaten so much. We've both become really, really, really fat in this lockdown together. But it's been, it's been such a nice ride, except that we've not been getting sex um, from each other or from other people. I know it's very weird uh, to hear that if you're a bulliner, um, but that's what um, normal people in other cities do. Um, get sex just from each other and not from other people. I mean, to, 
<laughs> I mean, get sex from each. I mean, two people in a relationship getting sex from each other and not from other people. Anyway, um, the point is that no. So I wanted to spice up my sex life, and so I invested in Pornhub Premium because I wanted to elevate my sexual experience and without any advertisements. Okay, so. um i canceled my gym membership and invested the money um in pornhub and it was really nice couple of hours that i had in one night and then the next time i wanted to have it i realized that i forgot my fake id that i created to make an account on pornhub and i also forgot the password and like i cannot retrieve my password if i don't remember my fake id um so i'm kind of in a fix cuz i'm too embarrassed to call the helpline and so i'm just watching regular pornhub but still paying 8 euros for it so um yeah that's my that's the love i'm getting uh in corona right now just your average uh love with a lot of advertisements and unrequired promos and spam basically love and corona for me is just spammy porn that's what i'm getting i think um that would be all uh do write in the comments what would you do to get back this um uh, uh Yeah, do write in the comments what would you do to get back your Pornhub account and wouldn't you be embarrassed to call the helpline and talk to a Peter or Paul or Amanda about what you I mean about like talk to them to retrieve this like what are, what are the questions that they're going to ask you I don't want them to have my details you know I don't like I don't want them to know that my name is Looney Lola on Pornhub because that's that's the only name that I could come up with to make an account Looney Lola um yeah and I don't want them to watch what I've been watching like I don't want them to know what I watched last you know I just don't it's what I don't want them I don't want anyone to find out that I've been watching romantic female porn no i just just don't want it i think it's too much of a stereotype and i'm here to break them you know <clears throat> um so yeah that would be me for today thank you for listening thank you gory for that and good luck with finding your on her premium ID and you can go find her at b underscore gory that's g a u r i and b like the word not the like the insect the word just b e um yeah and next up we have the very funny freddy with her posh dildo review it's a uh, Rose quartz dildo and I saw her post about it on Instagram 
and I had a lot of questions. And I still got a lot of questions, which I'm going to ask Freddie about. And I want one, very much so. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'll invest. And, um, yeah, I hope you all have a great week. And check in with your body. And I'll speak to you all soon. All right. Hello there, internet community. This is Freddie from Berlin. I know Kate from the comedy scene here. My real name is Friederike Gralle. I'm German. I just have a weird American accent. That's a different story. Um, and I am here to give you my best, most heartfelt, and most true review of the Rose Quartz Crystal Pleasure Dildo Wand that I purchased recently. Uh, Kate, I think, read it somewhere that I had done that, and she was like, hey, would you like to tell my community about it? And I was like, absolutely. So um, I went into Corona. I just like unsuccessfully dated somebody, not even met them, just like on the phone. It was super frustrating. And then my ex-boyfriend was there again. And it was just so much frustrating stuff that I was like, no, I'm going to take this Corona time, however long it's going to be. And I want to focus on getting emotionally healthy and stable and working on... I don't know, just being like sexually fulfilled and just like ready. I was just like, I want to be ready for whatever comes my way. And so I had spent a lot of time already like uh, meditating and and reading up. I, I follow this sexologist on, on Instagram called Juliet Allen. She's in Australia and she has a really cool podcast called Authentic Sex. And so I'd already like... It's it'd been on my mind already to like maybe explore things in my sex life a little bit. And then there was a, a job, um, a research job for a screenplay um that was about sex toys. And so excuse me. <laughs> and so at the beginning of Corona, I got my first vibrator, just like a normal ass, like a nice vibrator, because I could write it off on taxes. Um and uh I was like, ooh, this is cool. And I got it and I was really excited and I did an Instagram thing about it and um, I used it and it was like my first one. Um, and and it was cool, but it was like, oh my God, it makes me come so quickly. Um, and like your whole body is kind of like almost numb afterwards because it's like so intense, the, the vibration. And um, I don't know, I was like, oh, I guess this is how it's supposed to be. <laughs> and then I I was on Juliet Allen's website more and I, I discovered that she sells these dildos made out of um, crystals. So rose quartz and and a clear quartz and a, like a black obsidian. And they looked so beautiful. And I was like, oh my God, I don't want to be like an annoying like hipster bohemian crystal girl but they are so gorgeous and I want one like it was purely aesthetic I have to admit but then I, I kind of went on a little research rabbit hole I don't know how it started I guess because she wrote something about it that a lot of vibrators actually have um 
plastic inside them that sort of can dissolve in the body. The problem is that uh, vibrators, because they're not um, a medical device, but just like a leisure <laughs> device, um, they are, there are no guidelines and rules as to the, the material they use, and they don't even have to put it on a website or in the packaging what exactly is in there which is a little dangerous. Um, and so, I don't know, I read a lot about, like, I guess, normal sex toys, and it made me actually a little disillusioned with my own vibrator. And she also said that, um, yeah, like, it numbs your genitals after a while, so she wasn't really in favor of vibrators that much. She was like, it's much better to use your hands or to use um, other materials. They're, like, glass or steel or, or crystal. And so I was like really curious, but obviously I didn't want to have one shipped all the way from Australia. And um, it just so happened <laughs> that my aunt, for whatever reason, sent me some money that I hadn't gotten before, like for Christmas and for now. And it was on a different bank account that doesn't exist. And all of a sudden I had this nice amount of money in my bank account. I was like, I think this is God speaking to me. <laughs> I think I'm supposed to buy a really expensive dildo that looks beautiful in sunshine. Um, and so I googled where I could find one in Germany. And there was just one company, a German company called Liebelei. And they were in Kreuzberg, like five minutes by bike from where I live. And so I was like, this is amazing. And so one Sunday, I got some cash and just went over there. She handed me the package and uh, I got it. <laughs> and I unwrapped it. And it was so gorgeous like even like the wrapping it was so lovingly done with so much attention to detail like in this little box and and like confetti and like these little notes and explanations and it was just done with so much care um which really makes a difference and I don't know it's like I know it's like super luxurious and I mean I'm 40 I'm a working woman whatever um but honestly I feel like if there's one thing that you should spend money on, it's like something that you put inside your body and also something that is supposed to like spark joy and make you feel turned on and sexy. And if if it's a little more expensive, I, I think it's it's worth the investment because it is it holds a very special place in your life and in your private life. But I mean that's just that's just my my five cents about it there are also like these crystal wands on etsy that look really really similar that are like 30 40 50 bucks i would really discourage you from buying them because i think i don't know there's a lot of um i don't know there's a lot of dodgy stuff going on there because you want to make sure that's like a certified gemstone or precious stone um, that it's like sourced ethically and that it's produced in a, in a safe way because, um, they are super breakable, obviously, because they're made of stone. So you must handle them with real good care because <laughs> if they fall down, they break. Um, and I don't know, I've just read up that, um, I don't know, you just have to kind of be mindful of what you buy. So Etsy, maybe not today. Um, yeah, and so I was, I was really into having it, but then I was also like a little clueless as to what to do with it because it's like a stone. It's like 
really beautiful, but it's also kind of cold, obviously, and um, and it's really hard, right? It's not like another, like, I don't know, the plastic sex toys are a little more um, flexible. And so, I don't know, there's a lot of, like, energy talk about it, like, that you can, like, clean it, like, um, and, like, charge it in the sunlight or in the moonlight, um, and that different crystals kind of speak to different energy effects in your body if you're like a staunch atheist um maybe you want to tune out for a little bit um but I don't know I don't really mind I don't really it's like it's like really fun for me and it works for me I don't know I'm into meditating and stuff like that and all the chakras um and so um yeah it's also like, you know, each crystal that you choose, you just, I don't know, it's just like you have an emotional reaction to different things like aesthetically or energy wise. And like, that's, I think that's like a totally perfect way to choose something that you want to have like an intuitive, emotional, sexual connection with. Um, yeah, but so I was a little clueless as to how to actually use it because it's just like a stick. There's one that's like kind of curved. That's like more for the G spot area. Um, but I, I just got like the the kind of straight one. Um, also because the the curved one is even more expensive and like, come on. Um, the cool thing is that the same woman that um, distributes or like sells these crystal wands in Berlin, she also is a like a tantra practitioner and does these um, courses for for women mostly um, masturbation courses. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds kind of exactly what I should, uh, uh, do now. And the cool thing is that it was like a zoom masturbation workshop. Um, normally I guess you do it in person. I don't think I would have been brave enough to, um, to masturbate in front of like live other women in the room, but this way was actually super comfortable. You know, everybody was in their own beds, had like, you know, a candle and the a tea <laughs> and then you know there was some theory and it was all about like how a lot of people nowadays don't even know how to masturbate with their own hands and uh and how important it is and um and she was like so how long do you normally masturbate is it under five minutes and everyone was like yeah <laughs> and and she was like yeah that's not the point <laughs> the point of self-pleasure is to have pleasure for a long time and that there's no pressure of um of coming and have that orgasm which especially a lot of women are freaked out about anyway and have so much shame and, and guilt around and so I guess the idea is um self-pleasure takes like you're in control so you can take all the pressure out of the equation which is actually really nice but actually takes a lot of effort and uh so yeah so it was like a lot of dancing get the juices flowing and hip swaying and breathing exercises because um yeah you just want to get the get the breath flowing the tantric people are always into like they say like sex always like you should always include like movement uh touch breath and sound so let the sounds out don't forget to breathe and um touch a lot and also move around um, yeah, and so I did that, and I think it was really important for me to to get that introduction to like a better a better view of self pleasure before I could use it really um, 
because it was like, I don't know, it just helps you create an intention or an idea of what it can be. And so um, I did that. I did that workshop and it was really fun. And then um, I, I used it myself. And I don't know. I mean, of course, it's always different when there's an actual other person touching you and like the warmth of a body and skin and the noises and the breathing of someone else. But because you don't have to take care of somebody else's feelings or insecurities and you can just be completely by yourself, I don't know. It was it was really, really nice. And um I think I um I think I've just been like a little more playful and just taken more time because I mean if we have something it's time. <laughs> and so I uh I just really, I'm just so in love with the object, I think, that it just turns me on more than any plastic dildo ever could, I guess. Yeah, and so I'm slowly working, I don't know, cutting my path. No, that's not a good metaphor. I'm just like, I'm just like, more curious I think and and I'm like oh like yeah one of the questions in the workshop was like so like in your ideal partnership like how much time would you devote to like romance and and sex and then she was like and if you don't have a partner like how much time are you devoting to that right now and I was like oh like you know the five minutes and I was like oh that's so interesting that I've never thought about like oh all the like all the sex I want from another person like I can give that to myself I can like touch myself and make myself feel really yummy and juicy and and loved and it's not sad I think I think masturbation still has that stigma that it's like oh it's for sad people that you know didn't find a partner and um it's like I think she said that statistically people are more ashamed of being um found out uh during masturbation than when somebody like walked in during sex which is crazy you know um, but yeah, so I can just, um, encourage everyone to work on dropping that stigma and like working on like shame or guilt issues around that. Um, I'm sure there are other classes everywhere in the world. Um, people are pretty into that topic more and more. So yeah, like um, I can really recommend Juliet Allen. She is in Australia. Authentic Sex is her podcast. And she even has like online, uh, an online course called Pleasure School. And she does a lot of work and she seems really cool. So maybe that's something for you. Yeah. And so it's it's sometimes hard to get there mentally, but I can really just encourage you to try and give yourself the love that maybe no one else has given you right now. And it might even be better and less disappointing. <laughs> Not going to be cynical right now, but I don't know. You don't, you don't disappoint yourself if, if you find a loving connection to yourself. All right. Well, that's enough preaching for me for tonight. Oh, my God. I just hit the time. Cool. Well, I hope this um, sparks curiosity, interest, joy, or another emotion that's positive. And um, uh, yeah, I hope you have a good self-loving rest of the quarantine. <laughs>